Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are marking the life of the actor Kirk Douglas, who passed away last month at the age of 103... Yes, uh, a very, very long-lived life, and so we're celebrating that life by looking at his most notable film, his most notable role, Spartacus, uh, released in 1960, so it's also turning 60 this year. Um, yeah, so we're going to look at this film. It's a long one. We're just going to throw that one right out there. Um, anyone who watched Ben-Hur recently will be going, not again, but that's that's fine. Uh, Spartacus should be good fun. Joining me are my fellow Spartans. It's Katrina Johnston. Hello. Is Spartacus actually a Spartan, though? His name's Spartacus. Yeah, it doesn't mean much, though. Oh, you mean like people... People are called Paris and not born in France. That's true. I don't know if Spartacus (laughs) is actually from Sparta, um, but I'm just going to throw out at least that there may be a connection there. Katrina, you have not seen Spartacus. No, I have not. Um, What do you know about this film? I know, I'm pretty sure, it's about a slave revolt. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is very, very roughly based on a story from antiquity. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a Roman slave revolt, but it is a Roman slave revolt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he wouldn't be called Sparta. He wouldn't be from Sparta. Then Sparta's in Greece. Yeah. Maybe. Although maybe he picked the name to mm. to be like, hey, mm. you don't like the Greeks, and oh, like they would have been known. But... Yeah. I know, well, the famous line, uh, I am Spartacus and everyone starts popping up, which has been recreated many a time in Starbucks and other places where you have to give your name for orders. Mm -mm. Um, Followed closely, I believe, by Batman. Um, I am Batman. Yeah. Um, I'm Brian and says my wife. That's about it. Mm. I'm trying to think of other famous I am nows. Yeah. I am Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it that I... have heard from i think i have seen about five minutes of very early on in this film and i think he becomes a gladiator or something and that's part of it and yeah all right well joining us as our guest who has seen the film it's simon haynes no i'm spartacus oh sorry i was gonna say no i'm stephen <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry I, I, I didn't shout here going i'm stephen at the beginning i know i was I'll... waiting for you to do that so i could pipe in nah. ah how are you simon i am very well and uh <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing this. I haven't seen it in a while. Mm. I saw it in high school, which is <coughs> a long time ago. Mm. When it first came out, I'm sure. Oh, no, that was, yeah, last, yeah, yeah. That was, was last year for you, yeah, wasn't it? High school back in the 1950s. Mm. So, as as someone who has not seen Spartacus, uh, as Katrina is, and indeed, as I'm sure many of our audience are, mm. what can um, what can they expect from from this film? Um, this, I think this is one of those movies where people have just like Katrina says mm. like it's one of those movies that people know it in the pop culture sense but mm. I don't think many people have actually seen it since like back in the day 
Uh, Maybe I, after their first I, of it. Yeah. I remember I saw this, I said I saw this in high school. I remember really enjoying it, even back then. Um, I'm, I, but then I'm a movie nerd. But um, I do remember it, it. My thing is, for me, it never felt like a long film. Hmm. But it's probably one of those things that hindsight, it being, you know, I think it's like 70 years old. Cause it 60 years old. 15, 60. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it was made, yeah, like 50s, 60s era. Uh, so it's probably one of those things where the filmmaking is going to be a lot more slower paced than what it would be today. Mm. Um, but I remember really enjoying it. Um, I think like the thematic, you know, through line, you know, the, the slave revolt, the gladiator stuff, that's probably going to be the more relevant Hmm. stuff because it's been remade into a tv show now hasn't it yeah or at least the the, th- the original story so to that's speak. that's it this is one of those classic storylines as i was driving the car i was thinking the modern analogy i would say to this not necessarily spider because the tv series but more hmm. like gladiator hmm. the idea of that you know the um the strong proud guy who's got to fight for his life gains the respect and spoilers you know hmm. these are spoilers I don't know how much the spoiler that is because part of my brain is going, oh my God, is my memory this good? Um, but um, yeah, I, I believe like, a lot of the slave revolution stuff is towards the end. Mm. So you do really get like the story mm. of the life of the guy. Mm. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch Spartacus? Indeed. Yeah. All right. For those of you listening at home, pop in your DVDs and prepare to get some blood on the sand. Wait, <laughs> no, that's the TV show. As we watch Spartacus. Welcome back, everybody. We've just finished watching Spartacus. Yes, we really have. It's still the same day, just about. <laughs> it's a bit darker. Yeah, I'm joined once again by Simon Haynes. Hello. And Katrina Johnston. Hello. Uh, Katrina, it was your first time watching Spartacus. What did you think? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm not actually a big fan of those older movies because, as Simon was talking about, it, they do have that slower pace. Mm. And just, it's sent me to sleep a little like there were some really really great moments um i loved some of the moments between verinia and spartacus Mm. and yeah just some of those great dialogue moments Mm. some of them weirdly in bathhouses or (laughs) things like that um that's that's rome but i kind of like i found the fighting sequences possibly the least interesting part of it okay i kind of agree with you on that it's it's very much a good character film you want yeah, to do anything because I mean, you look at those characters in it, like um, I mean, Crassius and Spartacus. The, yeah, they're like the. It's almost weird that you get a movie where you got these two big characters and they barely meet. Like, in terms of Spartacus and, and Crassus, yes. it's also hmm. kind of weird. I felt it felt like the almost the them opposing each other didn't really come until about the last twenty minutes. I think it's an underlying thread, like, you know, Crassus was sort of the agent of... Mm. I'm trying to think of the the cinematic term, but he's like, he's the thing that causes the point of conflict. Mm. Like, he was the agent in the point of conflict, because he was the guy who directed his convoy to the academy, which, and then he basically goes, I want, you know, he's basically trying to impress a couple of yeah. women mm. and oh we're gonna have fights to the death we it, it was almost that escalation of weird weird just it was big dick energy yeah yeah 
but big dick energy. Yeah, but, big Roman dick. Energy. But basically, he was just being a big dick. And exactly, he had a lot of energy. With sorry, sorry, biggest dickus. Baby, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is very hard not to think of Life of Brian when watching it is this a, film. It really isn't. Um, it's it's an interesting one because I, I kept going back to Ben Hur with with that having been reviewed so recently on mm. on the program, and I I just kept comparing this to Ben Hur and kind of going, what do I like? What do I not like between the two? And I sort of feel as though they're they're trying very different things with mm. the same story not yeah. not the exact same story but um th- this story really felt a bit more like th- this this felt like a much more modern interpretation of that story in yeah. the sense that you know the, the framing with which you went into the film was this narrator who was going slavery was happening and it wasn't going to end for another two thousand years but here's one man that tried yeah and that kind intro of... is really weird when you take it into a context of the this story i mean mm-hmm. the story is about slavery and re- revolution and you know the, it's a class war mm. let's, let's be really honest it's against it's one of those things where this makes it relevant to today mm. But then you got that intro when it's just interjecting all that stuff about you know the Christ, you know, before the rise of Christianity and and, and no slaves for two thousand years. And it's like that's that feels crowbar. That's probably that was probably something that, that no, uh, Kubrick I, probably didn't want in there. I don't mm. think it was crowbar. I think people genuinely believed that back in the back in the time. No, but what like, I mean like is in like, the, that's in the a, 60s. They believed that. Yeah, that's you what know, I'm saying. It's a modern context put into a movie that's essentially not really about it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, the film is about them trying to end slavery, but it's also about lots of other things. And it felt really interesting that they chose to focus on, I suppose, slavery as a very wide concept, or at least it framed the beginning of the film as though this is mm-hmm. a film about ending slavery. But really, the second half of the film is actually more about freedom. Freedom. Mm-hmm. But, but also the struggle between Spartacus and mm. Crassus, uh, or Crassus and Gracchus. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it becomes much more of a film about the personal as opposed to this this wider context. Mm. I, I think it's also a little bit... It's a little bit hammy in, in some respects. I, mm. I, I feel as though a lot of the... A lot of the dialogue though good is very of its time yes and yes, definitely agree yeah like i was kind of watching it i was quite surprised that it was the stanley kubrick film like fair enough i haven't seen much stanley kubrick mm. um but it just like it felt like i was saying i, I said while we were watching it I, I can't believe that there's only that there's 20 years between this and say gone with the wind mm. and they just feel like they could have been brought out in the same year mm. sorry now that i'm thinking about it there's there's one thing I've, i'd probably never think about with a kubrick film is dialogue yeah for me kubrick's is very much more of a great visual storyteller i think the visual yeah. storytelling in this yeah drawn out at times is really really good there are but, some there are some curveballs thrown in there yeah yeah but that's funny you say that i'm going yeah kubrick doesn't really have great dialogue i mean he has some classic lines yeah that's about it like the classic one from this one. Uh, classic one from this one. Um, I don't want the big black boy. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Um, there, there was that. Yes, yeah. so, early on when yeah. we're dealing with the slaves, and it's like, would you like to take the Ethiopian? And one of the women is um, looking, and she goes, "This is the actual quote. It's I'll take the big black one." And yep. they're very much playing it as though we're just going to watch these boys fight. Oh, okay, yeah. that, that kind of thing. So 
I, I think that this is actually quite a good film. Um, yeah. But I also think that because it has been 60 years since this film came out, I think that con- comparing it to contemporary films is, is maybe a little unfair, but I do think that there are issues with this yeah. film. Mm. Um, but the, the things that I think that it does well, which I, I think we should probably focus on just mm. out of politeness more than anything, <laughs> um, I think this is a very well-shot film. Mm. Um, the, the dialogue, I, I agree, is not wonderful, but it's also better than I think of a lot of other films from that time period. I'm thinking, comparing it to Ben Hur, mm. which I think is probably a bit more fair than to compare it to um, a modern yeah, film. Yeah. Um, I, for at least from what I remember of Ben Hur, the dialogue is better here than Spartacus in Spartacus because yeah. it just seems a bit more less like I'm going to be very philosophical and blah 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 and speak about nothing. Mm. There's actual reason behind the philosophy in Spartacus. Mm. Yeah. That's one thing I was noticing is Kirk Douglas's performance is that he he's he never exp- he has one scene where he exposits it's the it's the classic I'm going to and I'm going to proclaim our intentions to literally everyone yeah. on the field mm. you know again life of Brian yeah speak up uh, but everything else he's he's he has this very physical commanding presence he doesn't mm. have to tell you how much of a cocking intimidation he just is intimidating mm. and i think that's good that's and i think that's what's great between the when you finally get that scene between uh uh crassus and uh, which is olivier so another great actor yeah. you got the scene between him and spider because when the two villains finally meet on their own footing and he doesn't say a word mm. well, and that I, is like commanding i think in a way Spartacus doesn't use his dialogue to intimidate. He yeah. uses it to prove his humanity. Yeah. Like, and, and you see that in the first time when they come back to the Gladiator training camp village mm. thing. And he's saying, well, what are we going to be? Are we going to be mm. better than this? Or are we going to be drunken raiding are buffoons? We, yeah. What are we, Romans? Yeah. Mm. Or are we better than that? Yeah. 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 And clearly, this watching the film, you can see the influences that it had. And... Mm. Maybe arguably, this had a bigger impact than Ben Hur. I think just in terms of, I, I saw more of Braveheart in this film than mm-hmm. I did in Ben Hur. Yeah, for you example. can you can trace the DNA of those but, kind of types of movies to Spartacus. But mm. that could be just because it's the type of story. Yeah, ben Ben Hur is an individualistic story. Yes, it's placed in lots of hot points of history, mm. um, but this. This is yeah something that like we all love the underdog story, mm. and really that's what that's what um, Braveheart is. That's yeah. what I can't think of any other movies. Well, I can't think of any ones before. This has probably been slave movies, and I know there's been mm. literally thousands and thousands over the times, but I can't think of a movie this big that actually handles the slave issue in this way before Spartacus. I just can't. Mm. there probably is one. But um, I, this one, one feels like yeah everything. The, comes after it is yeah the, from the it. one the one that i can think of but i haven't seen it so i can't really attest that much to it and it's not a movie it's a tv show is roots yeah I've heard which that. deals with the slave uprising in the caribbean mm. i think I've heard that's amazing mm. yeah i think what's interesting because i'm just thinking back to, to mm. ben-hur is both of these films have a framing of christianity mm. um mm. As, as part of it this film basically says 
you know, Rome within a century would be transformed by the rise of Christianity, but the Senate was the state of Rome was already rotten to begin with. Mm. But I feel that in terms of utilizing Christian religion, I think that Ben Hur does that much more. I mean, mm. Jesus Christ turns up at one point and gives him a drink. Well, like, you know, yeah. it's 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 much more literal in that case. Whereas what I think Spartacus is from the beginning, the first thing we see him do is bite a guy on the ankle for, yeah. for trying to fight. He's much more about the, the humanistic and the individualistic, yeah. well, as this you is, said. This is my argument earlier when I was saying is that uh, that's why I feel that like that speech was crowbarred into it because it's the only time Christianity was mentioned in that in the film. There's mm. no other... And yeah, you could I probably think... say like the idea of like oh, the teachings of Christ, but that wasn't a thing that was the stories I, about the slaves yeah, i think what we're, we're looking at the wrong context for that, for that speech mm. no you're not we're we're currently talking about the context of roman oh. times what we should be looking at is how history was taught in the 60s and in the 50s yeah. mm. where christianity was seen as this purifying force for the circuses and uh, blood sport that was yeah. Rome at the time, which is uh, I'm I'm more looking at within the context of the film itself. How you know you got this one initial speech, and I was actually expecting a bit more of it, but I, I don't remember it from my original watching. But mm. I was expecting a bit more of it, but I didn't. No, but spin, that, that's so. why I think it's only just crops up. Yeah. It's because it's referencing a history that is or how a history is taught mm. of to American children at that. If time. I was thinking of this as an editor. Mm you could remove that speech from the beginning of the yeah. film and it wouldn't affect the movie at least. So as an editor, my brain's going, that doesn't. That was an insertion that doesn't serve the purpose of the film. Mm. That's, that, that's my context. I'll get it. I think all it does is it just places it in a time. <laughs> it's like, it's before Christ. This is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that, I suppose, is an Although important distinction. Although having Julius Caesar as a young man in it kind of places yeah. it anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think maybe that's just more of a kind of... A, a way of these films figuring out how they need to be told because nowadays it, that would just be a title card that mm. would be uh, Libya so and so BC like yeah. it, that, that's all it would be I think yeah. nowadays the slavery thing would be mentioned just not the Christianity thing yeah yeah. it would be like it would be another 2000 it, it feels years. like it feels like the only actually I think I would only say I think that's the only thing in this movie that really dates it the cr- reference to Christianity yeah and mm. rest of it the themes and everything you know the cinematography and all that type of stuff is and the pacing is very much of it but it, yeah. that's the thing that only feels that like it dates it for me um, a movie like this could be made it probably only like 90 minutes because they would just take out some of those long shots mm. yeah but uh, yeah it's still mm. relevant this film has a really good cast though yes, yes. I mean obviously we've already mentioned Kirk and that's the reason we're watching this um, mm. I mean he, he's great and as you were saying, he's a face like a leather boot. He's just—he's just such a he's very leathery. But that, then, but then, as I was looking through the film, like most of the people in the film do. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, they're slaves, so they probably would. I think they must have reddened up a few of those guys. Like Tony Curtis, I don't believe mm. was that orange. I think he became orange later. So yeah, he definitely. That's another. Like that's another name drop. Definitely mm. looks like he's had a bad tan job. Yeah. Absolutely, but the cast is great. Uh, Lawrence yeah. Olivier, as you mentioned, is yeah, Francis. He was brilliant. He was, and the great thing was that you didn't recognise him initially. Mm. It's just been so long since I've seen him in as a young actor. I'm mm. so used to. Cause I was trying to remember the movie, the one he did with Michael Caine. That was from the stage show. That's probably the one I remember the most of Olivier. Mm. So I remember him. I think of him more as an older actor. Yeah, but again, I also remember Kirk Douglas from. The, this and like the 90s, mm. late, uh, late 80s and early 90s era. So I don't really have a perception of him as a younger actor. Mm. 
Yeah, um, but he's brilliant. Crassus, really fun villain. Yeah. <laughs> kind of occasionally incredibly camp, uh, but kind of always pulls it back before mm. it goes too far. Or I loved the very subtle innuendo that he's bisexual. Yes. Like oh, the, the very... The, the snails like, and oysters. I, I eat snails and oysters. <laughs> I like, love it. Love it, love it, love it. And I think that, that, sort of, that sort of ties into perception of... Um, of Rome uh, for modern people in the 50s and their perception of what Rome was like and Mm. what caused the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And back then, like nowadays after we've had revisionist history, back then they they were really like, oh, it just got too debauched. They just did all these really bad things. Some people do see Christianity as the thing that saved Rome from the the sin of Rome, like... Uh, or at least changed but, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But that's a... That, again, that's also historical revisionism to a degree. Yeah. Mm. Um, but really wonderful character. Mm. Just, I mean, just great performances all around. I think mm. I think in terms of weighing this up with, with Ben-Hur, which is apparently just what my brain keeps going to, I think this is a much better cast film. Yeah. But I think it's also that the, the actors have got a bit more to kind of work with in in Mm. the sense that this is a slightly more complex story where we see the political um, machinations that are happening between Crassus and between Gracchus who's played by Charles Law. I think it's more that there's clearer storylines like you can see like even if you don't know how exactly it's going to end you know okay well the slaves want to get from here to here and they want to leave Italy Um, and so you you've got at least an idea of a timeline, and the same with Krakus and Gracchus. Gracchus, hmm. Cra- oh, I don't know. Krakus and Gracchus. Cras- yeah, not Krakus and Grasses. <laughs> Krakus yeah. and Grassy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, a cracker and Gracchy. Yeah. Um, whereas they're both competing in terms of, of the Senate, so you have an idea of how that's going to play out. Mm. Although I was surprised to see that Gracchus. Um, commit suicide at the end mm. or at least it's very it's much suggested yeah oh yeah he absolutely did yeah um, there's a bath yeah. and he grabs a knife yeah he killed himself yeah. yeah um but also that's that's a very roman thing yeah. you know the idea of i think that's even something they discuss in the godfather part two where it's like you know roman senators who were in positions like that would kill themselves to ensure mm. that their families would be left alone yeah. um and gracchus knows that he's lost um he knows that there's a tyrant and that the Republic has essentially yeah. fallen. Um, although, you know, historically speaking, that's that's kind of Caesar's job. Um, this is seen very much as like the death of the Republic. And he also knows his place in the world from this point on is just mm. going to be serving Crassus. And he's like, I ain't going to well, do that. They're, they're, both of their positions is a radically different take on what Rome is as well. Mm. So and and I really, that becomes, again, a I great really, struggle. really like that Crassus, though the villain... Is it's very clear why he's doing what he's doing in terms of his political career, in terms of mm. he wants order and he wants that control. Oh, mm. he personifies totalitarianism. Yeah, um, and I, I I like the fact that the I suppose that the reason that he is vilified is because he's a big dick, as opposed to yeah <laughs> the fact that he he has this different viewpoint, a different viewpoint which leads to him exacerbating his big dickness. Mm. Um, and, you know, whilst I personally don't necessarily agree with totalitarian regimes, mm. it's interesting that I don't think the argument is ever fully argued as being, 
good versus bad. It's like system one versus system two. Yeah. Well, the reason I say totalitarianism is because he is like trying to control everything. They they throw out the word dictator a lot, mm. but what I mean is like he's doing it in the word of order and stuff like that. And that's typically what totalitarianism yeah, regimes do. Where they always say we're going to restore order, and we're going to restore order by getting rid of all your freedom, so we have absolute order. We're mm. going to make sure the trains run on time. Exactly. Mm. So Although they didn't have trains in, in this case, which um, is a shame. I think something the I mentioned during the, during the watching is uh, Kubrick has a history of dealing with themes of war. I mean, blatantly, it's uh, woman or jacket. So it doesn't surprise me that you is can Kubrick see some... Jewish and Jewish ancestry? I think so. Stanley Kubrick's parents were married in a Jewish ceremony. But Kubrick himself did not have a religious upbringing. So, so he probably at least had Jewish... Like relatives, yeah, he has yeah. a heritage. Which, he probably grew up with the the traditions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah pro- that, well, that probably meant if he's had Jewish heritage, then um, he's probably lost relatives. That that's the other thing. If you remember, Christianity wasn't a thing at this stage. It was the the tail end of the of Judaism. This was the you know the the end of the first part of the Bible, or mm. at least the mm. the Old Testament, leading into the New Testament. So roughly about so I'm just thinking of the, roughly the timeline. This is before the you know, birth of Christ. Yeah, mm. so, it's um, it's about seventy five BCE. Yeah, so it would be just like yeah, but like the tail end of the Torah. Yeah. So we this is where it's setting in re- regards to that. So, mm. Christ, that's, again, Christianity mm. is not a thing. Mm. But I think it's interesting that Christian values were taken and used as being these values of yeah. of decency, or at least like Spartacus's mm. and and his subsequent allies' ideas of. Um, kindness and humanity as a positive mm. thing were very much things that you could tie into, I suppose, Christian values, mm. um, but without it being tied to a doctrine, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed pretty much every scene with Gracchus. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, he's a senator, he's corrupt. I realised he kind of... Have you guys ever seen uh, Howl's Moving Castle, the Studio oh. Ghibli film? Oh, yeah, I he have a while ago. He makes me think of the Witch of the West. Yes. Because it's oh. like... I, and I think it's because of the blubber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's great. Um, Peter yeah. Euston offers... Uh, as the 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 gladiator school mm. guy, um, mm. he was good. Uh, Batitus, I think, is maybe the best thing in this film. <laughs> he's he's probably the funnest character. Yeah, just this this kind of like cowardly side switching um, guy who just I just want to sell some slaves, man. I just yeah. want to make money. And then every time someone offers him something, he's like, okay, I'll go do that. Yeah, yeah. he has like zero morals, mm. and then like all of a sudden he oh, gains I think I've dignity. Got dignity. <laughs> yeah, and I I thought that was really interesting. The fact that. Um, you know he's 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 claiming these things and he's mm. he's so wonderful in his kind of general just kind of being kind of a crap human being mm. or like not a moral person <laughs> but is also there at the end saving Spartacus's wife and child well, he kind of yeah. is out of spite as well it is and he also got a lot of million, money he got a lot of money <laughs> two million dollar equivalent of whatever it was yeah but even so I thought it was really interesting that he didn't die no. That was Whereas cool. most of the characters, I found it really interesting that we actually saw what's her name, Verinia. That we actually saw her yeah. leave. I, I think that feels like um, 
that feels like a con- okay this is a bummer ending because this was this has to be the story that has to be told in this particular way mm-hmm. so i reckon that was probably a, re- a revision just to give a little bit of sugar to the uh oh yeah the quite, sourness. Well, quite probably but like, the fact is i'm surprised we saw it on camera not you just hear that she's no i, I think away. that has to be the that has to be a moment of catharsis for the mm-hmm. audience because at that stage things are terrible yeah and you need i think that that moment of catharsis when Spartacus sees his son, mm. that was a that was probably that probably never happened in a million years. Just just chilly on logistics and all the other stuff. This was a, a this had to be a fictitious yeah. moment, but mm. it was a relief. It was yeah. the yeah. Everything that Spartacus did wasn't for nothing. Mm. So in terms of the real figure, because Spartacus, real guy, uh, yeah. born in the region at the time was known as uh, Thrace or Thracia, depending on who you were, mm. um, led a very, ultimately not successful, but very uh, impactful slave revolt mm. against the Romans. Yeah. Um, there was a final battle that took place in 71 BC um, where they fought the Romans and... It was reported by Plutarch and Apian and Florus that he died in the battle. Yeah, that, and, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and then there were 6,000 survivors of the revolt and the legions did crucify them along the Appian Way between Roma and Capua. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, 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 that bit is factual in terms of yeah. that the, is that the is tail end well, stuff as, feels completely fabricated as that just factual feels like as, a hollywood thing yeah as factual as we can as we can as we can make assert ancient yeah. roman ascertain. yeah yeah, yeah. As, as far as we can ascertain th- those are things that happened yeah. now whether or not it was six thousand, whether it was the entire way whether somebody was sitting there with an abacus going <laughs> we have to do them this even <laughs> this, this is rome they probably did count them and yeah. mark it down somewhere mm. uh but whatever it is that they did you can't then have Spartacus. You can't have Spartacus having the ending of Ben Hur, where mm. his family literally get cured of, of leprosy because <laughs> it rains Christian rain on them. Like, like that's that's I not what this, about that. You mean that didn't happen? Yeah. I, I kind of thought, like towards the end, I was like, I wonder if he's somehow going to get out of it. Like yeah. I was pretty sure he wasn't going to, yeah, but yeah. I was like, I wonder, just is Hollywood going to pull the old rabbit out of the hat mm. kind of thing? But knowing that he had to die, mm. he had to die in a way where he still won. And yeah. I think yeah. that was a really interesting through line in this film, the idea of victory not being escape. And yeah. victory victory uh, in death. Victory uh, in defeat. Loss isn't failure. Yeah. Like, he lost the battle, but he didn't lose the war. Or indeed, oh, the analogy. debate. Or yeah. indeed, the argument. But, yeah. Because ultimately, Crassus fears him more at the end of the film yeah. than at the he, start. Yeah, he essentially could become a martyr, which he ultimately did yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you know he, he also got to see his son and you know his, his wife's there saying you know your son has been born free which for someone who was like a multi-generational slave that's that's the biggest thing in the world to him mm-hmm. and he got to see that child yeah. and i think the film was very much set up as these are the moments of victory even yeah. though he's dying on a cross outside mm-hmm. rome it's a very painful way to die, and he's lost everyone except close to him. And you know he has yeah. lost his wife and child because he is going to die. He has still won. And you I you think know what they yeah. say, Stephen. Mm. Always look on the bright side of life. Well, I mean, <laughs> they could they could have done with that was a sing worth song. it. That was worth it. They could have done with a little sing song to make yeah, they could have cheer him up. But yeah, I, I think just Verinho <laughs> going away in her, her little horse and cart thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to do it too much, we'll get sued. Mm. Uh, nah, Eric Idle's cool. He won't. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, this this 
this is fun. One of the things I really enjoyed about the depiction of the um, the 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 rebels mm. was that camp life. Mm. Uh, was saying things like um, that the the egg magic tricks where he ends up with literal <laughs> egg on his face. Yeah. Um, that was great. But also, or the baby the kid getting squirted with milk in his face and oh. absolutely cracking it. Yeah, and I really like those little moments, and they felt. Not particularly Kubrick, but that's partly because, you know, Kubrick's style is very much about mm. not the lighter side of life. That could but, be an insert from the studio. It, it could, a it, lot of those shots didn't feel Kubrickian enough. But it could, I, I also wouldn't put it past him, given yeah, that he likes to also, have control of his films. It also yeah. works in yeah. the context of the film, because showing the difference between the Roman army and the slave army, mm. um, and, and almost like... See, I saw it more as like a oh, they're showing that they're stronger together, mm. even if it's even though um, Spartacus uh, says oh, there's too many women in this group. This is yeah. what I mean when I say uh, Kubrick is a great visual storyteller. Mm. Those are great visual storytelling moments, and yeah. that's the stuff we're kind of losing in some of the modern cinema. I've noticed in times mm. that visual probably the best visually told story in the movie in the last 10 years was Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And a lot of people were like going, oh, that movie was so boring. I didn't get it. It's like, what? Because people weren't expositing to you for like 90 minutes? Mm. Mm. That was a very great visual scene. And, uh, yeah. I, love, I think that's why I really like I this think, movie. I like the visual aspect. I think we see a lot of those small pockets of visual storytelling in, in current films. But yeah, it's, mm. it's tricky to find a film that has that consistently yeah. through the length of it. Mm. Um, this is why I say a movie like this wouldn't get made because they would just a, a studio would just cut every single one of those moments out, and a good storyteller would know it. These moments are crucial well, yeah. to telling a story. A movie like this, if it were made today, would be like the Ben Hur remake, yeah. which just died to death because it was it, it, the story doesn't suit the way that films are told. Yeah. And mm. similarly, if maybe that's why they chose to make Spartacus as a TV series, mm. where you can have complex character relations yeah. like you get in shows like Game of Thrones yeah. but y- you aren't going to necessarily be sacrificing them but also because it was a HBO show you can still have all the boobs and blood and whatever it is it, it yeah. was a show for gore yeah, yeah. so it's yeah I, I agree though that I feel as though the visual storytelling in this is something that maybe we don't see as commonly mm. and that is a little bit of a shame because you know there were certain characters whose faces we got to know like you know the old couple who were always hanging out yeah, or yeah. The, the they bi- were a through line throughout that entire segment mm. it was brilliant yeah. or the bearded guy with his kid that yeah. we eventually saw dead in the in the and aftermath the little of the person as well yeah there was, yeah. was all of these characters and some of them we don't know what happened to them, but mm. some we do. And mm. I kind of really enjoyed that of yeah. going, oh, that's where they ended up. What happened to this character there? We'll never know. Mm. And I do have to say, although it took them a while to get the battle going, <laughs> um, the final battle, that was really interesting. I don't mm. think it's the most well shot battle, but then again, we've got 60 years of practicing it since then. Yeah. But I think it was still an effectively told battle sequence yeah. and i really like the decision to just cut to everyone being dead yeah. when they did mm. yeah. so we didn't necessarily see that many deaths i think we saw um uh crixus crixus yeah. we yeah. saw get the sword through the gut well, as i pointed out there's only one time you see spartacus kill a person oh it's like two times you see spartacus kill a person drowns marcellus in the soup i'd say mm. three <laughs> but it's like all those deaths with Spartacus are very deliberate. Mm. Like, mm. Except that maybe that second one with him chopping the arm off, that was, but, but that felt like a combat moment. But mm. like, yeah. all those times that Spartacus could murder someone and he doesn't, that's character. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And also, 
Marcellus deserved it. Yeah, I mean, Marcellus was probably the biggest dick in this film. You, yeah. you knew as soon as you saw that guy come on screen, you're like, you're going to die. Yeah. You're going to be murderized. And I just love that he was drowned in soup. That's just, <laughs> I haven't seen enough of that. Not that I want to see people drowned yeah. and indeed in soup. I just appreciated the inventiveness mm. with how that happened. And it was kind of gross looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like a flavorful drowning was mm. just very interesting. It didn't even look like proper soup. It looked like... It looked a bit like minestrone. Oh, it just that, looked yeah. gross. I, I said it bolognese. It like really yeah. like muddy... Well, it's for water. slaves. Like, yeah. you know... It's, a, not... it's <laughs> a broth for slaves. Yeah. yeah. It's it's probably not going to be garnished with beautiful no. colors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought those visual storytelling moments were, were really great. Um, mm. And the relationship between Spartacus and Verinia... I really liked that. I did as well. There were bit. I mean, there were a little bit, a couple tiny bits which are very emblematic of the time. So, yeah. like oh, when yeah. he's holding on to her and just saying her name over and over again. Yeah, that's. I was oh, like that. That, that always makes me was cringe. Bad. Yeah, but aside from that, I totally bought into their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they they bonded through the shared trauma of being slaves. They then found each other out as free people and yeah. they got to have that relationship as free people we're well, yeah. talking about actors let's give a shout out to Gene Simmons who played Valeria because mm. she had a really good range in this because mm. you saw her character grow and like and you saw that almost revert back to when she gets captured and is being taken by Crassius mm. and she becomes that dull slave again but and that actually ended up being one of the best scenes yeah yeah and i think what it is is she's gone back into ringy as it is serving a master mode but she has very clear walls now she is she is she's had the experience of being free she is also being as defiant as spartacus is when he spits in the guy's face there's Mm. actually one thing i kind of wish there was a just a little bit of an angle change. It would be a little bit better. And it was the scene where they're confronting each other and you get the shot where uh, it's a downplayed shot on Verenia. Oh, uh, when she's saying you're afraid of him. Yeah, I almost wish like... Because he was standing up above her and this would be a Monday thing, but like, you know, when she talks to power and kind of visually, uh, verbally bitch slaps him, mm. I would have loved if she could stand up and he sit down or there's an angle change to mm. really, you know show there's a bit of a change in the power. He's still dominant, but, you know, that thing of, like, uh, just a visual... This is more of a modern-day thing. Mm. Mm. That's something like an Edgar Wright kind of move or, you know, a really good modern-day visual storyteller would definitely pull that move. But it's just that thing where she's speaking the truth's power and it's still got that down angle. Mm. I feel like... like, I I know why they did it, but... Yeah, I feel like that's because they're relying on the dialogue. And I actually actually kind of like that. Yeah. No, Um, I, I, I did love that. That, oh, that's probably my favourite scene in the film. As cringy mm. as it is with Cassie, but is two great actors playing Duking off each other. Duking it out. Mm. Yeah. There was a lot of this in this film. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of other shout-outs. Um, the actor who should have played Superman if they'd done <laughs> it in the 60s, Julius Caesar, played by John Gavin, mm. was a hunk. Yeah. He, he he would be playing The Witcher if he were knocking around yeah. today I, doing his thing. I would be quite yeah. happy for him to come and take over my goal. Yeah, if he'd have been, mm. if they'd have been Cut like, a, if they'd have been like, <laughs> no, sorry, it's it's in, that's in forever. Uh, if it, if they'd have been like, a, I think I said it, if they'd have been like a serious Batman film, mm. not a sixties yeah. campy Batman film, he would have been a great Bruce Wayne Batman. He just he looked like he Clark has Clint. That, yeah, Clark. He has that Kent. gravitas. Yeah, and I reckon mm. he could have. And the hair, the very, very dark hair. Uh, and um, he, he only passed away a couple of years ago. Oh. Uh, and he went on to 
uh, he was actually part of Ronald Reagan's administration. Hmm. He was Ooh. the United States ambassador to, Me- to Mexico from 1981 oh. to 1986. Oh. So he had some experiences there, Julius Caesar, and then he <laughs> became a... Because he was one of those guys I'm looking at going, I, I swear I've seen him before somewhere, just probably because he's just a default brown eyed, you know, dark haired guy in Hollywood, but he's mm. done a ton of TV work, so I might have just seen him randomly on one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff. He was in Psycho as well, Thoroughly Modern Millie. He, he was... Yeah, he was in a lot of things. And also, uh, Herbert Lom. Yeah, as, I love um, Lom. Tigranes Levantus, the pirate envoy. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> he I, was cool. I loved having pirates in this. I know it's based on, on the real, yeah. like, yeah. they were trying to buy their passage through these yeah. pirates. But just the way those scenes were set up and the fact it was a business transaction, um, yeah. it was the only two scenes, that, but two great scenes. That moment with him where he just realises... Oh, I am so screwed. Mm. <laughs> he's like, and he's just trying to play it off like I, I can get my way out of this. I can get my way out of this. Mm. And it's like not with Spartacus. Yeah, I also like the fact that he turns up with slaves and they immediately get liberated. From yes. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, fair enough," he's and like, carries on. Uh... Yeah, just a really, really fun um, cast to kind of yeah. look at to mm. kind of see what they did. And I, I think th- this is a long film, yes. um, but. They do helpfully provide an intermission in the middle and about four minutes <laughs> they, of music in the dark at the actually beginning. Actually, they probably needed that in in literally from old projectors because there mm. probably wasn't a projector that could load up uh, two and a half hours worth mm. of film. So, mm. oh, Sorry, no, three and a half hours worth of film. So yeah. they probably, yeah. they had to have an intermission. Mm. Yeah. But I think um, it, it's definitely worth a watch. Mm. I, th- I think this is, the, the more I'm reflecting on it now, I'm going, this is a pretty good film yeah um and and was very enjoyable would you guys like some trivia about spartacus the film yes please because only, apparently only the there's film. a whole bunch of dirt uh, okay oh, so yeah. there there is some some goss because um in much the same way as gladiator had a bunch of actors that were kind of a bit prissy and a director who was not getting along with them uh, so too did uh, you, you almost spend- wish that Oliver Reed was in this film don't you because he, 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 yeah. he feels like he needs an Oliver Reed or a um, what's his face uh, Charlton Heston yeah in this film this film has Lawrence Olivier Charles but, Lawton Stanley Kubrick it, yeah Kirk Douglas who can be a bit spiky like they had plenty <laughs> yeah. um, so here we go Beginning with, Stanley Kubrick was brought in to direct this film after Kirk Douglas had a major falling out with the original director, Anthony Mann. According to Peter Ustinov, the salt mine sequence was the only footage shot by Mann that ended up in the film. That explains a lot. Mm. Yeah, they had a falling out, and um, obviously Kirk Douglas is a producer of this Mm. film. Like Mm. He was a big, big, important person in the film. And he brought in Kubrick because they'd worked together before on on previous films and um, ended up kind of not getting along when they made this film and kind of ruining that relationship as well. I believe Kirk Douglas at this time was like big as well. So this is the the area where for a big Hollywood star says, I don't want to work with this director, they kick the director out. And I guess, but if you're in your 40s, you're the lead and you're the executive producer. There's no way that you haven't, Mm. you don't have power. Yeah. Yeah. And in, look, in fairness, they did end up making a, a, a good film mm. and a film that has had a big impact. Um, 
But yeah, uh, Anthony Mann did, did not last particularly long, which is a shame for him. Um, the original version of this film included a scene where Crassus uh, attempts to seduce Antoninus, which we saw with the mm. you know yeah. snails and oysters. Well, we saw the restoration. This is the key so... thing: is if you're watching this on Netflix or most DVD copies, you'll be getting the 1991 restoration. Um, those scenes were severely reduced because uh, of the um, in the, the original production. cut. Yeah, in the original yeah. cut, they were reduced because of the. The Production Code, Administration, and the Legion of Decency. Uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised. Because I was sitting there whilst during that snail and oyster scene going, how... I have zero recollection of that. Uh, yeah. This is something I said to you guys off screen, so I'll get it on the record. My recollection of this movie was a lot shorter. Mm. It could have been one of those things where... Because I swear in high school, they had, you know, it's just an old VHS copy. It could have been also edited down or something like that. But there's a lot of stuff in this movie I don't recall. There's a lot of stuff mm. I do recall. Mm. But it was just one of the things where there's just moments this movie going, I don't recall this at all. Mm. And it could just be faulty memory. But when as soon as I found out it was a restoration and it was like even longer, I was like, no way would they show a three hour film mm. at, in high school. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really happy with it. I think I enjoyed this one. My memory is mm. I enjoyed the original, well, the one I saw. I really enjoyed this one mm. coming back to it. Yeah. Um, representing the censors, Jeffrey Sherlock, not the same spelling, um, suggested it would help if the reference in the scene. Uh, to a preference or oysters and snails was changed to truffles and artichokes. I don't know <laughs> why that would have changed it, but that was the because suggestion. Because oysters are very salacious. Uh, so the scene... So snails. Sorry, that's me dropping that's okay. my phone. Well, it's, it's, it's the difference between um, licking a pearl and licking a long slimy thing. I, I still don't know what the difference is. <laughs> um, the scene was cut and then was put back in for the 1991 restoration. However, the soundtrack had been lost... And so the dialogue had to be dubbed. Now, this was fine for Tony Curtis because he was still alive. But um, Olivier was dead by this point. Olivier died in 89, so two years before the restoration. Um, Dame Joan Plowright, his widow, Mm. remembered that Sir Anthony Hopkins did a dead-on impression of Olivier and mentioned this to the restoration team. So in that scene, that is Anthony Hopkins. We've got another great actor. That's so cool. Anthony Hopkins is doing his Olivier impression. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that is what's in. And Hopkins is thanked in the credits for the restoration for that service. Sir Peter Ustinov joked about his daughter, who was born at the beginning of the production, being in kindergarten by the time the film was finished. (laughs) Uh, When asked what her father did for a living, she used to answer Spartacus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this this was a fairly, fairly long process. How long did it take? A few years. It took took a couple of years to get this thing up and rolling. I mean, considering how big a lot of these shots were, Mm. that would have been a logistical nightmare just to get bodies and then yeah. setting up all those because there's a lot of there's big, a lot of big uh, number shots yeah mm-hmm. there's all i reckon that's the reason why they lot and they used a lot of um rear projection stuff because they just was that thing of like we're getting to the point where we need to move this to a studio because we yeah. can't have you know kubrick setting up a thousand people on the back back area in the background so he can get this one tight shot of mm-hmm. uh, kirk douglas and you know have them milling around for a half an hour yeah yeah uh, in order to get so many big stars to play supporting roles, Kirk Douglas showed each a different script where their character was emphasized. <laughs> oh. uh, the writer, Dalton Trumbo, reportedly got so fed up with writing all these different versions that he threatened to walk off the project until <laughs> Douglas promised to give him a full screen credit. Now, this wasn't officially allowed because Trumbo at this time was blacklisted in Hollywood for perceived communist sympathies. Sweet. When director Otto Preminger, who was also working with Trumbo on another film, learned of this, he publicly credited Trumbo in that movie which was exodus before 
Spartacus was released. So <laughs> Kirk Douglas was a bit annoyed because he had his thunder stolen from being able to like, this big blacklisted director is is in. And I think this film is really interesting looking at the, the Hollywood blacklist because it mm. is one of those films that's seen as impactful for sort of dismantling the power of that particular oppressor. Yeah. Funnily enough. It, it, it's almost like a movie about slaves throwing over the overlords. Mm. As a bit of context. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, cinematographer Russell Metty walked off set complaining that Stanley Kubrick was not letting him do his job. <laughs> uh, Metty was used uh, Metty was used to directors allowing him to call his own shots with little oversight, whilst Kubrick, who was a professional photographer, um, shot some previous movies by himself and subsequently did the majority of the cinematography mm. work. Yeah. Metty complained about this up until the release of the movie and at one point uh, asked to have his name removed from the credits. However, because his name was in the credits, uh, when this movie won the Best Academy Award for Cinematography, it was given to him, <laughs> yeah. although he hadn't shot most of the film. Wow. So he got an Academy so, Award. So for... how many Academy Awards did Kubrick film and never, uh, Kubrick winner never get? Yeah, Kub- Kubrick never never won exactly. an Academy Award. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> wow. But maybe he did. In, in a way. Yeah. This is like Orson Welles, who, again, I mentioned when we were recording, Orson Welles did a lot of stuff himself, took a lot of credit, but a lot of people... It's actually the reverse in many ways, but mm. yeah, Welles would credit himself with like writing, and he got a, a lot of other people to do a lot of his writing. Yeah. 30 years after this film was made, uh, Jean Simmons met the baby she held in this film. Wow. Uh, at the time, she was working as a stunt woman. Oh. Ah. So that baby grew up to be a stunt woman, which is kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick spent $40,000 on the over 10-acre gladiator camp set. On the side of the set that bordered a freeway, a 125-foot asbestos curtain was erected in order uh, to film the burning of the camp, which was organised in collaboration with the L.A. Fire Department. So this bit was shot in L.A. Mm. This wasn't in Spain. Um, Studio press materials state that 5,000 uniforms and 7 tonnes of armour were borrowed from the Italian museums, (laughs) and that every one of Hollywood's 187 stuntmen were trained in gladiatorial rituals for this fight Mm. sequence. Modern sources note that the production utilised approximately 10,000 people to film that sequence. Well, yeah. And it looked great. You can't, you that's can't a, do an epic without the big numbers. We've got to remember, this is... If it was done today, this is... Lord of the Rings pioneered this. You yeah. use digital doubles. You All the Monday action scenes where you got these people mm. in. You couldn't do that 60 years ago. Yeah. Mm. You had to hire people. Mm. Uh, speaking of uh, people trying to accept credit for other people's work, uh, <laughs> when the studio said that they did not want to give Dalton Trumbo screen credit, Stanley Kubrick said he'd accept it instead. Uh, Kirk Douglas was so appalled by Kubrick's attempt to claim credit for someone else's work that he used his clout to make sure that Trumbo received the credit that was due. Yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, they, they did not get along. So many egos. Mm. When Kirk Douglas asked Stanley Kubrick about his opinion of the I'm Spartacus scene, Kubrick, in front of the cast and crew, called it a stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kubrick was promptly chewed out by Douglas. Um, What I love about that, it's one of the things you don't think about in hindsight, but Tony Curtis and Kirk Douglas, in almost exact unison, do that together. Yeah. Yeah. And that adds to that realism of, why didn't they just pick the first guy? And then the single tear. Yeah, single manly tear. Yeah. It was effective. It was. Uh, Lawrence Olivier and Charles Lawton, much like their characters, were longtime rivals and barely on speaking terms. <laughs> so, yeah, Gracchus and Crassus were not really on speaking terms off set as well. That's probably why that felt so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that probably works. Uh, 
Um, during the arduous long shoot, Tony Curtis allegedly asked Gene Simmons, quote, who do I have to f*** to get off this film, end quote. <laughs> Some versions of this interaction include Simmons responding with, when you find out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> this was a very long and involved shooting process. Mm. Oh, I've read his autobiography, wow. at least one of them, and yeah, he's been involved with some really terrible films, that, uh, not terrible films, filming productions that mm. have gone on to make great films. Mm. Yeah. He's a damn good actor. I've only ever seen him in Some Luck at Hot. That's one of the ones they had a very troubled uh, production yeah, with well, because Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe was... at that time was like she was hooked on like the, um, all the drugs. Yeah, and she was married to uh, the boxer. Uh, oh, was it the footballer? The baseball player? Uh, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. And it was a sports. Joe DiMaggio. Ball. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, they were not kidding. Mm. Yeah. Um, so obviously, putting the name of uh, someone that had been blacklisted did not necessarily go without notice. Mm. Um, Hedda Hopper and John Wayne, both leaders in Hollywood's uh, powerful right-wing element, publicly condemned this movie as, quote, Marxist propaganda, end <laughs> quote, before its release. Uh, this was partly because it was the first uh, film to have Dalton Trumbo uh, mm. be credited um, and not under a pseudonym. Um, and so there was some boycotting of this film. Someone that broke the boycott, though, was John F. Kennedy, who uh, would, of course become president well, of the United he, States. Was he already president by the time he... So it's 1960. He, uh, I don't think so. He, no, 61. So it's not It's not long so until... not quite. Not yeah. quite. But not he's, quite. you know, he's thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> he's sitting there going, yeah. I could be he might have been in. He might have been a senator or something at that time. Yeah, he was... Point. Yeah, 20th of January, 1961. But so. yeah, he, he defied a protest group by going to see the movie and afterwards described it as, quote, good, end quote. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, a it's quote so, there from film critic John F. Kennedy. So, it's so funny that the that like John Wayne and the the people are trying to boycott it because mm. it's obviously Marxist propaganda. Just because there's a blacklisted name attached, and I'm like, and it's not a pseudonym. I'm like, mm. if there was the pseudonym and the everything else was the same, would they still call it? A, would they I still call it Marxist? Given kinda... some of Wayne's recent uh, unearthed statements, I don't think he would have liked this movie anyway. Oh, no, he probably wouldn't have. Wait, it was written by Johnny Freedom. Wait, never mind, it's fine. <laughs> it was uh, written by A. America. Yeah. It's just so strange. And I'm like, people are still able to put in ideas that you don't like, even if you don't know it's their hmm. name hmm. attached to it. Yeah. It's like, it's so strange. People are weird. Yeah. That's people a are weird. great, great summary up of this. People <laughs> are weird. weird. <laughs> Speaking of weird people, uh, Lawrence Olivier, whilst researching uh, the Romans for his mm. role, learnt that the Romans rode without a saddle. So he followed likewise <laughs> and rode saddleless in his horseback scenes. This proved to be a great hindrance, as there was no saddle to keep him steady when the horse was even in the slightest motion, and he kept wobbling throughout the horseback scenes. Yeah. Eventually, Stanley Kubrick forced Olivier to film his horseback scenes sat on a ladder. <laughs> Because it's it's quite a skill to learn mm. to, to ride without a saddle. Um, Unless you're an experienced. Well, yeah. I, I've ridden water a horse once in my life, never again. Mm. So yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean it's difficult with a saddle. Yeah, and um, yeah. Charles McGraw, who played Marcellus, um, had his jaw broken in the scene where Kirk Douglas slams his head into the large vat oh of soup. <laughs> in spite of the pain of the injury, McGraw finished the scene. <gasps> Whoa, Props. that's that's intense. Mm. So, yeah, there was a man with a broken jaw in and amongst all that stuff. I hope Kirk so, Douglas, like, helped uh, him out and was, like, nice so to him after that. So a man with a broken jaw getting killed by a man with a chisel draw. Mm. Thumbprint jaw. Yeah. 
Uh, Kirk Douglas wanted to play the title character in Ben-Hur, but director William Wyler wanted Charlton Heston the role, so Charlton Heston got the role. Douglas was offered to play the antagonist role of Masala, which eventually went to Stephen Boyd. Um, because Kirk Douglas refused to play Second Banana. Um, in later years, Douglas admitted that he made this movie to show Wyler and his company that he could have made a Roman epic and matched Ben-Hur. Mm. He once said, quote, that was what spurred me to do it in a childish way, the I'll show them sort of thing, end quote. Well, got something good out of it. Yeah. Mm. Again, that theme of revenge out of spite. Yeah. In August 1958, Alciona Productions announced plans to make a movie called Spartacus and the Gladiators, which would have had Yul Brynner playing Spartacus mm. and would have been directed by Martin Ritt. Kirk Douglas's agent suggested that he should have his movie produced for Universal Studios. Um, they used Trumbo's screenplay, um, which was whipped together in two weeks, and Douglas was able to win the Spartacus race because as soon as it was like, uh-huh. we're making Spartacus, the other studio went, ah, okay, don't worry about it. And without a charity either. Mm, and yeah. without a charity. It was very mm. impressive. Um, Kirk Douglas was unsure about casting Gene Simmons as Verena, probably because he was busy with Kiss. Uh, oh, sorry, different Gene Simmons. Yeah. Um, the reason they were unsure, though, is because she was an English actress, and they were putting all the English actors in the Roman roles and all the American actors in the um, sorry in 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 the, in the slave roles. Um, Douglas originally wanted a German actress named Sabine Bethman to play mm-hmm. uh, Verena. Um, but Stanley Kubrick disagreed, claiming that Bethman lacked the talent to display emotion. And to, and to prove this, Kubrick called her into his office and told her that she was fired. Her lack of dramatic response <laughs> persuaded Douglas that Kubrick was right. God damn it, Stanley! So, yeah. That poor woman who's probably learned, I can't show emotion yeah, in front was... of men in, in, in like a professional capacity. Mm. That has to be the is... birth of the oh. monster that Shelley Duvall had to deal with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's literally just, let me show you, you're fired. Oh no. See? Oh, I guess you got a point. Let's although, get someone else. Although in. I did know, I did like how they said that uh, she was from Britannia in the movie. So maybe mm. that was a thing of learning. Yeah. She of, didn't really sound that... She sounded as American as Yeah, she mm. didn't Everyone sound else. English. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was, she was fine. Yeah. I mean, she was really good. She was really good at it. Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Great performance. The intimate scenes were filmed in Hollywood, uh, but Stanley Kubrick insisted all battle scenes be filmed on a vast plane outside of Madrid. 8,000 trained troops from the Spanish were used to double the Roman infantry. Uh, Kubrick directed the armies from on top of specially constructed towers. However, he eventually had to cut all but one of the gory battle scenes due to negative audience reactions at preview screenings. So precise was Kubrick that even in arranging the bodies for the slaughtered slaves, he had each corpse assigned a number and instructions. So he had a very specific Mm. sort of battle (laughs) aftermath image. I think maybe that's why that looks so effective. Yeah. We were in quite close and it was quite confronting, uh, but it was almost painted in a way, the way it was set up. It didn't seem like chaos. It's It's almost like a bloodless war at that point like it's just brown dirt yeah you didn't really see much blood um like even in there was no dismemberment but yeah until the very end Mm. um even in the scene where um spartacus gets taken out like right at the beginning to Mm. to fight for the two women and the two men Mm. when the guy's getting dragged off that crickus is just killed Mm. you don't see a trail of blood the ethiopian yeah you you don't you don't see anything yeah yeah, it was. Well, that's the, the the spear comes into his back, and then it almost cuts away, and then yeah, you get the mm. knife scene, and yeah, that splurt of blood in oh yeah, in Lawrence yeah. Olivier's face. Yeah, that was good. When Kubrick originally removed close-ups of Spartacus's crucifixion during the finale, Kirk Douglas 
and this is from Kirk Douglas's own account, got so angry that he attacked Kubrick with a folding chair uh, because the filming of said cl- close-ups wow. had been so long and difficult. And he was like, you made me do that for nothing! And threw yeah. a folding chair at him. Yeah, I noticed you can barely oh. just see like the leather strap they mm. kept him up on in mm. that one scene, which is... But that was some... Again, some great facial acting. Like, yeah, no dialogue. Mm. All, all Douglas. All yes. Douglas. Approximately four minutes of this movie were lost because Universal Pictures mishandled its prints in the seventies. Oh. Is that why there's blanks at the beginning? Uh. <laughs> just, just nothing. It's actually yeah. That was the actual birth. The end. Oh, what is that? That was the actual birth of Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just oh, you can forget about the mer. Like it's all. <laughs> Yeah, these were scenes that involved Gracchus, uh, mm. where he committed suicide. Ah, oh. so I think it works without it. I think it works yeah. without it as well. They they still have audio tracks from these scenes. They've survived, mm. but they don't have the video to go with it. So but they I have the audio of this death scene, but they don't have the audio of that, the other like, scene. That's mm. like the Doctor Who, the Lost Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. They've mm. got a whole bunch of the photos and audio, but they don't have the footage. The footage. Mm. They're still trying to find it. That's just yeah. that's just the way it goes. So, mm. but I, I think you're right. I think it works with him just closing the curtain to the bath and we can all go ah right yeah. yes we know what's going to happen I just happen love here. how he picks the prettiest knife yes <laughs> yes that was very nice the final bit of trivia I have uh, Gene Simmons recalled a long day of filming where it took forever to get Kirk Douglas up on the cross for the crucifixion when he was up there the assistant director called lunch and they left him there <laughs> oh that's a brave thing to do particularly for an actor you know who's the executive producer <laughs> if this was like at the end of the film there might have been that thing where we we're just like we're just sick and tired of this guy yeah, yeah. and also it took too long you just wait up he there he was the biggest dickus <laughs> all right all that remains is for us to score the film katrina mm. this was your first time watching spartacus what would you give it out of 10 um i think Oh, what can I? I think with all with all things considered, like it is a very it is a good film. Hmm. Would I be in a rush to watch it again? Probably not. Mm. I I'd be tempted to if I was doing like a really fancy avant garde party to put this up on on somewhere to Mm. project it up on somewhere. Hmm. Um, This probably would be a good background film. Yeah, Hmm. it would be. I think I would find it a very interesting film to go and study. Um, so with all that being said, I think I would give it, give it seven and a half. I like both oysters and snails. Ooh. There we go. We'll have to cut this from the version we released in 1960, though. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, Simon? What are you giving it out of 10? Um, yeah, it, I, I, I think I could watch this again, but I think it's like that thing where I haven't watched it in a while. I do remember I enjoy it. I think it's one of those movies that I probably could watch it again maybe in about 10 years. I just on the... On, on a off chance. I could imagine watching it again if I have kids and they're about 14, mm. 15. Be like, we're going to watch this mm. amazing film. Another context I would probably watch this again. If I wanted to study Kubrick and mm. I wanted to go, say, pick a couple of movies, I'd definitely go with this one. Yeah. This, uh, maybe this, Clockwork Orange and... Um, Odyssey? Maybe, I'm not sure. I'd probably go... Sorry, no, probably this Shining and Clockwork Orange. Mm. I wanted to get like a nice spread of Kubrick. Mm. If I had to choose a color, only a couple. This is probably the ones I'd go. I'd probably go with this one because it does show that those early things. I think yeah. it's a good film, but... Mm. Yeah. I, I would actually... I, I think I'm going to give it the same score as you, though. Yeah. I, can't, I can't justify a seven. I can't justify an eight. So 7.5... 
Uh, big black ones. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> she never actually specified what the big black one was. Exactly. And I think we all know what she meant, though. Fingers. The yes. one with the trident. Yeah, yeah, tridents. Um, <laughs> for me, um, this is a, this was a good film. And I think it's definitely mm. a film that is worth seeing um, purely just for the performances. Mm. Um, yeah. But it is also very well shot. So I'm going to give it seven pretty knives out of ten. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's, it's a fun film. Uh, and that brings us to the end of this episode. So Katrina and Simon, thank you very much for joining me to watch Spartacus. Thank you very much. Thank you. For those of you listening at home, thank you very much for joining in. Hey, we have a Patreon. Join us over at patreon.com forward slash podcast. We are also available to be downloaded on Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes and all those other things. And of course, we have a Facebook page. You can leave us likes, comments, whatever you like over there. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. But that's all for this week. So until next time... No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I've got Spartacus. No, you're not Spartacus. We're Spartacus. I think we can all agree that we're all Spartacus. Except for Fred. <laughs> Get out of here, Fred. Damn it, Fred. You ruin everything. Oh, okay, guys. I'll see you later. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.